Roundhouse Kicks, we talk about sneakers and sneaker culture and the people who create and consume it. So today we are talking about sneaker collecting. More specifically, we're talking about when to say when, when sneaker collecting. A couple of obvious answers might be when you run out of money or when you've collected all of your grails or perhaps when your partner tells you enough is enough. We need to pay the rent. We need to buy groceries. We need gas money. And those $300 Jordans you just brought home aren't helping. And for those of us for whom sneakers are not just something we wear on our feet to get us from point A to B, or a cool accent to a particular outfit we wear a lot, or a replacement for sneakers we have worn so much they're full of holes, a separating sole, and have changed from their original color to something altogether more grotesque, The process of buying and collecting sneakers often defies all reason as it relates to function and necessity. For those of us who would label ourselves sneakerheads, the addiction is real. And having 17 Air Jordan 1s on hand, all the exact same shoe, just slightly different colors, or having multiple pairs of all-white Air Force 1s in our closet so that we always have a crispy, fresh-out-of-the-box bright white pair we can throw on is not only reasonable, it's required. Sneaker collecting is not unlike any other form of accumulating material goods you don't need to meet your basic needs in life. Be it little porcelain dogs, baseball cards, or comic books, it's just stuff. Stuff I like but don't need. Psychology Today posted an article in 2020 about the psychology of collecting that said that 33-40% to of the American population collects one thing or another. The article also pointed out that for collectors, the brain rewards the collector for every new acquisition of the item in question, reacting as if by buying our third pair of limited edition sneakers within the space of a month, we have contributed to the elongation of our own survival. This is a trick that addiction plays on the reward centers of our brain. An interesting thing about collecting is that the biggest rewards our brain gives us is actually in the hunt more so than the acquisition. For example, let's say that you're a sneakerhead and your grail, which is a word for a pair of sneakers you've wanted more than any other, but which heretofore has been unavailable to you either due to their price or their scarcity, you might spend hours every day looking online on Facebook Marketplace, eBay, StockX, Grailed, trying to find this particular pair of sneakers you've always wanted for a reasonable price. One day while doing the rounds, you come across someone selling these shoes in your size for a price within your budget. You jump on the listing, buy the sneakers, and then wait in agonizing anticipation for the sneakers to arrive in the mail. Now, you might think that the best part of this whole process will be pulling those shoes out of the box, placing them on your feet when they finally arrive, but according to Psychology Today, your neurological reward for this find has already peaked. It's not the actual act of wearing the sneakers that was the high, it's the hunt. I'll bet if you ask any sneaker collector you know, they'll tell you the same story replayed perhaps hundreds of times of winning a sneaker raffle, finding a grail on the secondary market, or even just buying a general release pair from Nike.com that you've had your eye on for a few weeks, feeling a rush of excitement, obsessively checking the tracking of whatever mail carrier the shoes are in the possession of, only to receive the kicks, pull them from the box, and feel underwhelmed. 
it's not that you don't want the shoes or that you're disappointed in them. And it's not that you don't plan to wear them or show them off every chance you get. It's just that you've peaked. The best part, the hunt and the act of paying for the sneakers has worn off. So what do you do? You chase that high. You pull your new kicks out, admire them for a minute, put them back in the box and go back online to engage in the next hunt, the next high. Ironically, in this situation, actually owning the sneakers isn't even what you're after. It's everything leading up to that. From an evolutionary standpoint, this is actually hardwired into our brains and has been since we were hunter-gatherers in a pre-dawn era. Our brains evolved to reward us for the very act of seeking out our food, more so than the actual eating of it once found. This prevented us from becoming lazy once our bellies were filled. If you got your biggest reward from eating, what reason would you have to ever get up off your ass again once you had? There you go. I just connected sneaker obsession with cavemen. Find that in another podcast about kicks. But I'll digress before I lose every single one of you who thought you were here to hear about sneakers. How do you know when to say when? Obviously, there's no purely objective answer to that question. A person who has an unlimited amount of disposable income to spend on kicks is not going to say when as quickly as a person who has to scrimp and save for every pair. There are also different levels and different reasons for collecting. For some, it's all about MJ. And to be sure, I got into sneakers via my love of Jordan, and I got into Jordan via my love of basketball. I became obsessed with NBA basketball. Jordan is the best human being to ever play the game. Buying his sneakers was a way to connect with a man I'll almost certainly never speak a word to in real life. So for me, my gateway drug were Air Jordans, and more specifically, the Jordans and colors that MJ actually wore when he played. My first pair were the Air Jordan 2 Chicago Lows, which Jordan wore in his third season when he averaged a league-best 37 points and won his first dunk contest in. From there, I acquired my second Jordan and my favorite sneaker of all time, the Air Jordan 3 Black Cement. After that, I bought the Jordan 4 in the White Cement colorway, the Jordan 5 Fire Red, the Jordan 6 Carmine, the Jordan 11 Concord, and Black and Red. I also have the Jordan 3 in the recently released Fire Red, White Cement, and Wizards colorways, the Jordan 4 in the Black and Red and Fire Red, and the Jordan 5 Black Metallic, the Jordan 8 Playoffs, and the Jordan 12 playoffs and i've had my eye on the jordan 13 playoffs since they were retroed a few months back but i have yet to pull the trigger on those as as you can tell i have enough jordan sneakers in white red and black configurations but that's what started my collecting hoarding the shoes that michael wore on his feet when he did magical and unimaginable things on a basketball court from there it wasn't long before my tastes branched out into other areas of sneaker freakery Retro Nikes like the Air Max 90s, the Air Max 1s, and the Air Force 1s, classic basketball shoes like Reebok Pumps and Kobe Protros, an obsession with Yeezys several years later when Kanye began his historic partnership with Adidas, and more recently an appreciation for New Balance, which before a couple of years ago I saw as little more than nerdy shoes with no color or style to call their own. How wrong I was. I've done a two-part episode on New Balance, so I'll spare the hagiography except to say that they are the most exciting, most interesting, and highest quality sneaker brand in the world right about now. Yes, I said that. In the world right about now. 
So I've got all my Jordans, all my Nikes, my Yeezys, my New Balances, and my assorted odds and ends from other sneaker brands like Puma, Reebok, Asics, Vans, and Saucony. I've got just over 100 pairs of shoes in my collection. The two closets in my home that have been designated for sneakers are full, and the shelving units in our storage room that have been designated for the boxes of the sneakers on display are also full. So is that it? Is enough enough? I mean, I've run out of room. I've, I've breached the 100 sneaker threshold I set for myself some time ago. I'm not made of money, and sneakers, even at retail, are expensive. Any normal person with a basic level of common sense about these things would tell me to stop buying shoes and be happy with what I've got. I could wear every sneaker I own just three times a year and have enough shoes to last me from January to December with very little overlap. But still, I scroll. Still I hunt, still I sign up for raffles, wake up early to cop new releases and check the multiple sneaker accounts I follow on social media as to what's coming out so I don't miss it. I am a sneaker head. My obsession knows no bounds. It follows no rules. It does not conform to pedestrian trivialities like space and affordability. And my addiction isn't even that bad. I listen to hosts of other podcasts tell of sneaker boxes stacked from floor to ceilings in living rooms, bedrooms, kitchens, and bathrooms, of renting storage units, sometimes several, to house sneaker boxes in the thousands with contents they can't even remember they have, of collections that spill over into friends' and relatives' houses. One host talks of his mother's basement, the mother he no longer lives with, serving as little more than another warehouse with which to accommodate the sneakers he doesn't need but won't get rid of. Sure, I have a few boxes on my bedroom floor and under my bed that don't fit in the storage room, a few stray pairs of shoes that hang out by the back door or in the front of the sneaker closets because the shoe racks have no vacancy, and haven't for some time, but floor-to-ceiling, storage units, mom's basement, I would never let it get that bad. Or would I? I mean, I have over 100 pairs because I've somehow managed to find a way to procure over 100 pairs without spending my family into the poorhouse. If I made a million dollars a year, which is significantly more than I make now, would I own significantly more sneakers? I suppose I would. I also suppose I would have a bigger house with which to house them. More storage space and more closets of display space. Which brings us back around to the consideration of objectivity, which is impossible when speaking of collecting. I suppose most of us collect as much as we can afford, as much as we have the space for. I can easily see myself having a thousand pairs of sneakers if I made ten times what I make now and had ten times the space. Which is ridiculous yes which is probably a waste of space and money and which is ultimately pointless if the point of collecting sneakers is to wear them but is that the point i used to collect dvds and blu-rays i sold most of them when streaming moved from a novelty to the main point of consumption and more or less killed physical media for good i can't remember how many movies i owned but i know it was a lot a lot more than the amount of sneakers i now have I owned more movies than I had the time to watch, and still, I kept buying. My rationale with movies was I may not have time to watch it now, but what if one day I have a hankering for, say, John Ford's The Searchers or Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, or something more obscure like a Roger Corman exploitation flick or a black-and-white French New Wave indie from Paris, or if the kids want to watch Ratatouille. It's 
better to just own everything and have it on hand rather than have a hankering for it and not be able to feed that hankering. Sneakers aren't so different. I've bought many pairs of sneakers with the intent to wear them one day. I've bought sneakers in the winter that I would only ever wear in the summer and vice versa. I've bought sneakers I didn't even like all that much because they went on sale and were a great price. I've bought sneakers because influencers told me they were hype even though I didn't think they were. And yes, I've bought sneakers just to have on hand in case I might want to wear them one day. I may not have anything that goes with the turquoise and hot pink Nike LeBron 8 South Beaches right now, but these are classic kicks and I might one day have a hot pink or turquoise t-shirt that goes with them. Note, I've owned these sneakers for three years and have never worn them because I don't have anything in hot pink or turquoise to wear them with, and I probably never will. But damn if I don't love those shoes. And there are ways to continue to collect without running out of space or money. The most obvious is selling. The sneaker resale industry has calmed down a great deal since its apex in 2020 when people were trapped indoors and looking for something to do and some way to make and to spend money. For a while there, sneakers that had no business selling out would sell out instantly and resell for hundreds over the retail price point. This made sneakers a viable commodity for income and attracted a whole host of money-hungry little you-know-whats who had no interest in sneakers beyond snatching them up and selling them back to the consumer at an inflated price. This went on for a couple of years, but as I said, the bubble has finally burst on the resale market and most sneakers, Jordan, New Balance, or otherwise, have little to no resale value and even the sneakers with legitimate hype like the recently released Nike SB Air Jordan 4s have trouble holding their resale value for more than a few weeks. And now all of those money grabbers that invaded the sneaker space and treated kicks like stocks and bonds are drifting back towards other monetary pursuits. This is a double-edged sword for collectors. On the one hand, it's easier than it's been in years for sneakerheads to get their hands on desirable product at retail. On the other, I have about 12 pairs of sneakers for sale right now, Good shoes at fair prices that I can't seem to get rid of. A couple of years ago, those shoes would have been gone in about three days. So we buy shoes with the best intentions and we say, I'll buy these now and sell a couple of pairs later to make the money back and we find a couple of pairs we can stomach letting go of, put them up for sale, and that's where they stay. Up for sale. So now we have three pairs instead of two and we're one pair poorer than we were before. Sorry. But that's how the collecting part of our mammalian brains work. Collect now and figure it out later. Is that a responsible way to collect? No. But sometimes it's the lie that we must tell ourselves in order to feed the beast. But I don't want this pod to be a downer. For those of us who collect and those of you who depend upon those who collect, as I've said, I've found a way to make it work. I gave myself a 100 sneaker limit. I'm only a few shoes above that, and that includes the shoes I currently have for sale, which if I sell will drop me below my limit. I don't spend my rent money, food money, car payments, or gas money on sneakers, and despite knowing every sneaker that is coming out every month of the year, I have become extremely discerning as to which sneakers I actually pull the trigger on. I no longer make impulse purchases. I try very hard not to buy sneakers I don't think I'll wear very much, and I never double up. With over 100 pairs in my collection, there's absolutely no reason for me to have two of any one single pair. So how did I develop this discipline? Well, for one thing, I'm married and have children, people who depend upon me to be responsible with our money. 
My wife and I have car payments, a mortgage, and bills to pay. Our dollar here in Canada is crap and inflation keeps rising. By no means have I stopped collecting, stopped hunting, or stopped having sneakers on my radar, but I've trained myself only to buy sneakers these days that I really, really want. Is it a perfect formula? Far from it. I'll still occasionally pick up a kick that I'll later regret buying, and I'll still occasionally pick up a kick that I think I'll wear several times a week that I wear once and forget about. But I'm a collector, and as I said earlier, our brains aren't trained to rationalize the 100 sneakers we do have. They're trained to rationalize the ones we don't. The must-haves, as we call them. And I suppose the only true way to know when you've had enough is to just stop, to go cold turkey. For me, that means no more sneaker social media accounts, no more back issues of Sneaker Freaker, no more popping into Foot Locker and JD Sports to see what kicks they have on the shelf, no more episodes of sneaker shopping and full-size run, no more phone notifications of upcoming sneaker raffles, and no more sneaker podcasts, the ones I listen to and the one I produce. Collectors know when they're done collecting, when they have either collected everything there is to collect which in my case, in the case of sneakers, is impossible, or when they've had enough and detached themselves from the whole entire enterprise and direct that attention elsewhere. But where the fuck is the fun in that? So there you have it, an editorial, so to speak, on sneaker collecting, the psychology of it, and the reality. Thank you for your time. Thanks for hanging out. Next time, we're going to start a new series called City Stories, which will be an examination of sneaker culture, past and present, within specific cities around the world. Episode one will take place in, where else? The Big Apple, NYC. Hope to see you then.